Go ahead and come on in and have a seat. My name is Josh, also known as volunteer number four, for those of you who need to know that. Um, guys, we're glad that you're here. It's been, obviously, the weather has been a crazy, but we are, it's calming down, it's warming up, so that's always good. Just a few things as we get started. The core group is something we've heard us talk about a lot over here uh, of the past month. If you are unable to be at that informational meeting, uh, what was that, two weeks ago, next Sunday, directly after Revolution, there'll be just a five or ten minute gig right over here. You'll meet with Ryan and just kind of talk about what that core group's going to be about, which is really, it's going to be a group of people who work alongside the leadership team and collaborate with what their, what their gifts and talents are and kind of really use those gifts to serve Revolution as God sees fit and move that here in Portsmouth. So if that's something that you want to be a part of, Next week, um, you'll, you'll meet with Ryan right out over here. Uh, again, also, get plugged in a small group. If, uh, small groups, a group of people, a group of people that get together. Maybe they, they drink adult and unadult beverages. Maybe they eat, but they get together and they study the word. And so that's a great way to get plugged in. If you don't know a whole lot of people here, see Ryan, David, anybody you see up on this platform tonight and find out how can you get plugged in with just another group of people your age uh, or maybe not your age and just really get to know one another and do life together. So core group, uh, meeting next week, small groups get plugged in. Also, coming up here soon is a, is a blood drive. This is the Storm Bratchett Memorial Blood Drive. It's something that Christ's community does each and every year. And um, Storm was an individual who was a part of revolution uh, in the very beginnings. And, and he was taken home to be with the Lord in 2008. And the family and the church has put together this blood drive as a way of giving back to the community. Kind of a way to memorialize Storm a little bit for just all he gave. He lived his life so passionately for God. But this is a really big blood drive that I know the Red Cross um, really counts on a lot. We're looking for 300 pints of blood this year. Something that you can do really practically and easy. Um, it'll be right here in the main thing. And it should only take about a half hour of your time. So if that's something that you can do, please consider doing that. It's a great thing, and there's lots of goodies and treats and Penn Station cookies. So, um, so that's that thing, core group, small group, and the blood drive. Hopefully you guys can remember those things. But uh, we're going to take 30 seconds now, and hopefully you get to meet somebody you don't know. And here's the question. The Olympics have started. They're here. And... Um, you know, I'm fascinated with curling. Uh, I've seen that thing. That thing is just incredible. But have you seen this skeleton thing or whatever where they lay face down like on their belly? and get, I don't know. It's crazy. So here's the question that I want you to ask someone that you don't know. Is if you were an Olympic athlete, you could choose to be one of these three. Would you want to be a figure skater, a curler, or a skeletor, or, or, you know, or a loser, a bobsled, or something like that, the speed stuff? So we're going to get up, 30 seconds, meet somebody. you got three options. You can be a figure skater, a curler, or a loser, bobsledder, skeletor. So 30 seconds, we'll put music on. Get up, meet someone you don't know, and then we'll come right back, and David will bring you the word. Curler, figure skater, and loser. So what's up, Rev? Woo! Cool. All right. So this weekend, this Friday, was Valentine's Day, right? And uh, I didn't get to spend Valentine's Day with my girlfriend. She went out of state to go dance 
Um, and I rode around in a van full of dudes all weekend playing music to other sweaty dudes. So I had a really romantic Valentine's Day. Um, and you know, for, uh, so I hope you guys had a Valentine's Day that's better than mine. And for all of you unmarried couples out there, I hope you had a sinless Valentine's Day full of abstinence and candy. Um, so that's my prayer for all of you, that you guys had a good one, but a sinless one. All right. Yeah, I understand, like, the struggle is real, right? I'm, we're all college age, or this group is college age. And, oh, never mind, you guys moved around a little bit. Cool. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm used to the college row. Um, yeah, I understand, like, the struggle is real, but uh, that's where I kind of want to start tonight. Let's talk about uh, college. You know, I did it for a year, and I felt like academia didn't have a whole lot more left to offer me, so I bounced. Um, I'm going to drop out. Um, so I went for a year, and uh, what I want to talk about is just how stupid I was when I was in college, all right? Um, like, I was a complete, complete idiot, and um, <laughs> Grandpa gave me an amen. Um, I was a complete idiot when I was in college, all right? Um, like, I, I wasn't following Jesus one. Uh, around se- Between 17 and 18, I've said this a bunch of times, I became an atheist, and I left the church, and... Uh, I, I kind of decided I'm going to remake myself, right? Like, I'm going to give myself a new image. I'm not a Christian anymore. I'm going to be partier Dave. And, you know, if you want to know where the party's at, get a hold of me because I got a couple of joints and a 30-pack of Natty. Like, get at me. And, by the way, like, who drinks Natty? Like, let's be honest with ourselves. Like, I don't know how I did that. That is canned carbonated urine. Like, I have no idea how anyone drank that stuff. Um, anyway. Um, so that was me. Like, I decided to... That was going to be my persona, all right? So what better place other than senior trip would it be to start this off, right? Um, I was like 280 pounds at the time, so we all go down to the Redneck Riviera, that is Myrtle Beach, and I decide I'm not leaving the hotel room, right? Like the sun's not my friend, the beach isn't my friend, my gut was out to here, I wasn't going outside. Um, so I decided just to get hammered for a whole week and not leave the hotel. Um, and I stuck to the plan, and around day four, I decided to go down to the beach. I was like, today's the day I'm going to the beach. But I went at midnight, all right? Um, I, I assure you this all will come together. Um, I, go, I go down at midnight, and whenever I get down there, I'm sufficiently wasted, and I decide it, I have to pee. And you know, the funny thing about the state of North Carolina is it's not illegal to pee in the ocean as long as you're, like, waist deep. Um, I was, like, ankle deep, and I unzip my pants, and then I see red and blue lights behind me. And um, I get arrested, you know, for public intox. Thankfully, they didn't give me um, anything other than that. But I was told that as I was getting put in the back of the cop car, I told them, you know, you're lucky I'm not Michael Phelps or I would have swam away, is what I told them. Um, <laughs> so, like I said, I don't condone this stuff. But the only reason that I can look back and laugh is because Christ has redeemed me and completely changed who I am. Another stupid college experience that I had, um, I was in the band, so, so the first day of college class hadn't even started, and I get to school, and uh, not even the first day had started, and I decided I'm going to show everyone how cool I am, and we were in this campus-owned house, so it was a dorm, but I didn't realize it was a dorm, so I spark up a, a joint in the, in the living room, and an RA comes in, and thankfully, he showed me some mercy, and he didn't... Um, called the cops. He didn't turn me into the university, you know, because if they had went in my room and searched all my stuff, I had so much paraphernalia and so much, so much marijuana, like I would have went to jail, period. Um, and what I'm, what I'm telling you all this stuff for is to show you how stupid I was in college. Not because I'm proud of it, but because I, I really want to paint this picture that I was not helping myself, all right? Absolutely doing nothing right, doing nothing good. But yet the whole time that I'm doing this, 
um, my parents have no idea the kind of trouble that I'm getting myself into. And they're helping me out, right? Like, I don't have a job in college. I'm, I'm doing stuff to get scholarships. I don't have time to get a job. They don't know how much I'm drinking. They don't know how much I'm smoking dope. They don't know that I'm selling dope. Um, and they're, they're giving me money, and they eventually catch me. And then they restrict the cash back so hard that I had to either eat, drink, or smoke. Like, those are my options. Um, now, and I, and, I, and I brought them into this to show you this. Even though I was not helping myself and I was doing absolutely no good, my parents still helped me, even whenever they found out what I was doing. They, they monitored me. They watched me like a hawk. Um, but they still helped me. All right? So I was not helping myself in the least little way. I was sinning against God. I was sinning against my parents. I was manipulating my parents into giving me more money, and I'm really not proud of this. Um, but I was manipulating them into giving me more money so that I can continue to party and continue to blow it. But even whenever they found out I was doing that, they still loved me. And they still took care of me. And they still helped me. Now, God has the exact same kind of like uh, MO, right? Like God has the exact same um, way of doing things in the Old Testament. He has this constant theme of helping people who refuse to help themselves, right? It's, it's all over the Old Testament. And it eventually it peaks in Jesus. But let's talk about the Old Testament for a minute. You know, right off the bat, God helps people that don't help themselves. Um, God helps the helpless. We, we can go to Adam and Eve. Okay, so, so right off the bat, Adam and Eve sin against God. God makes Adam and Eve. We all know the story. Um, you know, have sex, be fruitful, multiply, take care of the earth. Don't eat fruit off this one tree. And what do they do? They eat the fruit off the tree, and they sin against God. So in that act, they openly rebel against God. They spit in his face, say, I'm the one who gets to make the rules. I don't think you have a right to tell me what to do. I'm going to do things my way. I don't think you should be God. I think I should. So they are not helping themselves. They are in open rebellion to God. And what does the Bible say God does? Well, first, there are consequences for their actions, right? God curses Adam and Eve, um, tells Adam, you know, you're going to have to work for what you eat. Eve, having kids is going to hurt. You're going to want a husband, but then he's going to have authority over you. You're not going to like that. So, but after God does all that, what does he do for people who are helpless sinners who now deserve damnation for what they've done? It says that he makes clothing out of animal skin for them and gives it to them. Right? And that might not sound very significant, but whenever you really look into what that means, is it means that, you know, you know there's this all, overall theme that whenever we sin, um, something has to die in our place. Right? But what, so what does God do? As soon as they sin, he makes animal skin clothing for them, which means that he made the first sacrifice ever. He killed an animal to make that clothing for them. So right off the bat, God sacrifices on their behalf so that he can maintain a relationship with them. So they're not helping themselves. They are, in fact, rebelling against God, and God makes a sacrifice for them instead of just damning them on the spot. They're helpless. They're not helping themselves. They're in sin. God helps them anyway. All right. Another example we can go to, um, you know, we can look at Exodus and Numbers, and we can see the Israelites leaving slavery in Egypt, right? Moses is leading them out. Um, and as they're in the desert, you know, like they, they don't have enough food. So what's God do? God lets manna come, right? God makes manna appear on the ground every evening and morning. Um, and manna, if you guys don't know, it's like stuff, they, it's like sweet tasting stuff. They'd scrape off the ground and they would make food out of it and stuff. I can't explain it that well. I'm sorry. Um, but it's food, right? They were going to starve to death if God didn't do that. Um, I'm sorry, I'm kind of spaced right now. I spent all weekend in Detroit and I'm kind of spacing out. Um, <laughs> so God's given them food the whole time and, and they start actually complaining against God because they get sick of the food that they're eating, right? And they, 
they constantly are doing things that God's telling them not to do. You can check out Exodus and Numbers, and you can see constantly God does one thing after another for these people, and they continue to sin against him, rebel against him, and complain. Right? Like They got sick to death of, of eating the manna all the time. And they says, you know, we were better back in slavery in Egypt because we had better food to eat at least. Right? So God's rescued them from their oppressors. Then they complain against him, which, by the way, complaining is a sin. Because whenever we complain against God for whatever we're going through, we're telling God, I think I'm the person who gets to dictate what I go through. I don't think you have the right to make me go through this situation. So complaining is a sin. So they complain against God for their situation in the desert. But what does God do? He continues to feed them. Right? Like they're openly rebelling against him. They're complaining against him. There's idolatry with the golden calves in Exodus as they're coming out. There's all kinds of stuff the Israelites are doing. And they're in the desert and they would starve to death if God stopped feeding them. But he continues to feed them. All right? That's huge. Helping the helpless. All right, a third example, and I'll, I'll quote with the examples in the Old Testament after this. Um, Hosea and Gomer. Now, anyone know that story? Hosea and Gomer? No? Cool. Two of us? Right on, three of us. Um, okay, you can go to the, the book of Hosea, and Hosea is a prophet. And um, God tells him, okay, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute. And she's not going to quit being a prostitute. She's going to continuously cheat on you, and you're going to stay faithful to her, and your relationship to your wife is going to mimic my relationship with Israel. And Hosea marries her. I was like, kudos to that guy. Like, I like to think that I would be faithful to God, but, like, that is, like, good for him. Um, I mean, that's an example for all of us. But anyway, I'm, just not, I'm not that sanctified yet, I guess. That's just insane to me that he did that. Anyways, sorry. Um, but Hosea marries her, and she cheats on him. And she eventually gets herself into this kind of slavery thing where Hosea has to actually go and buy her back. Um, and that mimics how, you know, the, the Israelites would get themselves into all kinds of trouble and God would constantly go back and rescue them from their oppressors. You know, they'd be exiled and God would bring them back into Israel. God would defeat their enemies whenever they didn't deserve it, whenever they were in fact worshiping other gods other than the God of the Old Testament. And he's constantly helping people that aren't helping themselves. He's constantly helping people who are doing nothing to better their situation. He's constantly helping people who are openly rebelling against him. They deserve nothing but death, damnation, and hell for what they're doing, but he's continuously helping them. You know, so this, this whole idea of helping the helpless and helping people who won't help themselves really culminates in Jesus. Right? Everything in the Old Testament foreshadows Jesus Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to him. Jesus says it himself. All right? So how? How, how does this all point to Jesus? Um, you know, G- Jesus decides to help people indiscriminately, all right? Um, you know, but, but, but how? All right, Jesus uh, tangibly helps people, okay? Like, he gives them something they can take home with them, right? Uh, like he, and he does that by way of miracles, right? Like, he feeds people. Um, you know, like, he feeds uh, the 4,000 and the 5,000 two different times, um, he heals the blind, right? Like people walk away going, I can see now and I couldn't see. He heals the deaf. I couldn't hear, but I can hear now. Uh, the, the crippled, I couldn't walk my entire life and now I can walk. He brought people back from the dead. He cast demons out of people. He tangibly helped people. I, I hope you guys understand what I mean. Like he's giving them something that they can take home with them. It's not like I'll pray for you, which is phenomenal, and I'm not downplaying prayer, but he's like physically, tangibly going out and helping people one-on-one and getting dirty in order to help them. Right. Um, another way Jesus helps people is he helps people intellectually. Um, you know, he educates people. Right. He, he he teaches people about who God is and that He is God, and he educates people on how um, 
he wants them to live and how God expects them to live and, and just all these things about who God is and what he expects out of us and, and, and ultimately that he is God and, and what he's going to do. Um, but what kind of people did Jesus help? You know what I mean? We obviously see like people who are like physically disabled and stuff. But let's go a little bit deeper than that. Let's ask the question, what kind of people did Jesus really help? And now we're going to go to some text. If you thought that I was going to preach a sermon without going to the Bible, you were wrong. That, that would be unwise. Um, <laughs> so we're going to go to Mark uh, 2.13 through 17. All right? And um, I'm not sure what page that is in your blue Bibles, but feel free. If you don't have a Bible, please take it with you. All right, it's our gift to you guys. Check it out. But if you don't feel like flipping, it's going to be up here. Um, So we're going to see what kind of people Jesus was helping, okay? So it says, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. All right, let's just let's stop here for a second. So Jesus is going out to teach people. Um, and, and some some translations say that uh, there was like a large crowd there. All right, so whenever I think large crowd, I think diversity, right? Like the rich, the poor, the young, the old, um, people of all kinds of different backgrounds. All right, so one, it's good to note that Jesus did not discriminate against who he was willing to teach. Anyone who wanted to listen, he was willing to help. He was willing to teach them. All right. Okay, 14 again. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Okay, Levi is Matthew, right? Dude who wrote the gospel of Matthew. Levi is Matthew. And he's a tax collector. Okay, and what's significant about that is tax collectors were one of probably like the top five most hated people in Israel. Right? And here's why. They were essentially race traders. All right, tax collectors were Jewish people who worked for the Roman government. All right, and Romans hated Jews, oppressed them for hundreds of years. Jews fought Romans and lost all the time. Um, and tax collectors worked for the Romans to, to collect taxes from the Jewish people, obviously. And they're really heinous high taxes, really unfair. Um, but the only way for a tax collector to make money was to take more money than the Romans wanted. Right? So if the Romans say, we want 20% of whatever the Jewish families make, then... Tax collectors say they want 30%, and then they pocket 10% and give the rest to Rome. So they were really wealthy, but they were lying thieves, and they were hated, right? So, like, you're a traitor to your country, and you're stealing from your fellow countrymen. So these are, like, the most hated of all hated people. And I think something else that's really interesting to note note here, too, is that Matthew is at his tax collector's booth, right? Sinning, lying to people, cheating people out of money, uh, being a traitor to Israel— in the middle of his sin, and Jesus tells him to follow me and be my disciple. All right, just chew on that for a minute. Um, he's in the middle of his sin, and Jesus calls him out. Um, 15. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. All right, so any time that you ever hear that Jesus was around sinners, these aren't just like run-of-the-mill sinners, like someone who makes some mistakes. Like if the New Testament calls people sinners, these are people whose reputation, like they were known, by, like they were known for the sins they committed, right? Like prostitutes, thieves, liars, people who their sin defined who they were, essentially. And those are the people that Jesus is hanging out with right now, okay? He's having a meal with them. Another thing to know, you know, first century Jewish culture, you have a meal with somebody, you're accepting them on the, on the very most basic level that they're a person of worth, right? 
you're having a meal with them. Kind of like today, like you don't take someone out to dinner that you don't like, right? So by sitting down and having a meal with them, you're saying, you know, I, I, Jesus wouldn't be saying we're equal because Jesus is uh, God. But, you know, you're saying like, like there's some like equality here. You're a person. Like I, I love you. I want to be your friend. Okay, you don't eat with people you don't like. Same thing back then. Um, but when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw Jesus eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have, not, or I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. All right, another, uh, another translation of that is Jesus says, you don't, send doc- you don't send healthy people to a doctor, you send the sick. Jesus is saying in one statement, I have come for the sick, right? Jesus is saying, I've come for people who understand that they suck. I've not come for people who are self-righteous. I've come for people that no one else wants, right? I've come for people who have been marginalized, that all of society has thrown them off in a corner and said, don't worry about them, they're not worth your time. Jesus says, that's who I've come for. No one else wanted them. He wanted the people who were known for their sin. He wanted people that everyone hated. That's who he identified with. That's who he drew near to himself. So who are those people in our society? You know, like my knee-jerk thing to think, um, you know, I work out in Minford. I see just all kinds of like meth addicts. Like meth addiction is just prevalent in Minford. Um, so I think of drug addicts, you know, those people in our society. Like, let's think, like, who are, the, who are the most hated in our society? Who are the marginalized? We have drug addicts and drug dealers. Okay, those are, those are, those are people that aren't helping themselves. Like, who wants to be around that? Um, you know, we have prostitutes. You know, you go down to the East End, there's prostitutes, and, and there's sex offenders throughout Portsmouth. You don't think about it a whole lot, but, you know, who wants to really hang around with a sex offender, right? I mean, like, they, they've, I mean, child molesters and stuff. Like, who wants to go around that guy? Um, who wants to go around a rapist? Who wants to go around uh, a statutory rapist, for that matter? Any kind of sex offender. We don't want anything to do with those people. Uh, liars and thieves. People that have deceived you, tricked you, that are known in the whole community for lying. People that are known for breaking and entering. People that are known for you better watch your wallet. We don't want to go around those people. Um, you know, promiscuous women. You're know, not necessarily prostitutes, but it's really easy for us in our society to go, she's a whore. Don't worry about her. You know what I mean? She's not really worth anything. Um, any abusive men, too, at the same time. You know, he's just an old drunk that beats his kids and stuff. I don't want anything to do with that guy. All right? Like, those, these are all, like, really common statements that I hear. I, I know I can't be the only one. Like, I hear statements like these all the time whenever I, where I work. Um, you know, sometimes, like, I've heard these things come out of my own mouth. I'm going to be totally honest with you guys. You know what I mean? And whenever we think like that, we're losing sight that these are the people that Jesus attracted to himself. These are the same people that wanted to hang out with Jesus. These are the people that Jesus intentionally went after. He said, I'm going after the sick. I'm going after the people that no one else wants, that everyone just writes them off as whatever kind of sinner that they are. But what does Jesus do? He sits down and he eats with them. Like, he sees that they're a person. He sees because he made them. He says, this person is not a whore. She's a woman that's been made in the image and likeness of God, and she has inherent worth, right? Right? She is not her sin. She is a person who needs to be loved. And that's what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't see a drug addict. He sees someone who has a past of maybe their parents didn't want anything to do with them or some traumatic things happened and they decided to mask it. Sure, did they choose a bad option? Absolutely. But he sees a person 
that he created in his own likeness. And they deserve to be loved by us. And Jesus chose to show love to those kinds of people. You know, and often we, we think those people don't deserve our help, right? Because they put themselves in that situation, right? Like the prostitute or whatever. Ah, she's whoring because she decided to do pills, and that's not really my problem. So why would I help her out? She's just going to keep doing drugs and keep hooking. You know, she doesn't deserve my help. She put herself there. Like the alcoholic, I'm not going to help him out. He's just going to drink it up. You know, he's not going to try to dig himself out of the pities. And why should I help him? That's our mentality a lot. And, and we lose sight of the fact that these are people with intrinsic value because God created them the same way he created us. You know, so if these are the people that Jesus attracted, why is the church not doing the same thing? I know you guys have heard this message before, but I think it, it just really needs repeated a lot. Why aren't we doing the same thing? You know, we have an obligation to actively pursue the same kind of people Jesus did. Actively pursue. Not just be okay with those kinds of people coming into our church, but actively pursuing these people. We have an obligation to Jesus, right? If we're Christians, that we're going to go out and go after the same exact people that he did. To go after the friendless. To go after the hated. To go after the poor. To go after the abused. To go after the marginalized. All right, and I'm, I'm, I know that it sounds like right now I'm talking mainly about people that would be addicted to drugs or prostitutes and stuff, but like, let's bring it a little closer to home for most of us, right? Or maybe not most of us, but some of us. Um, we all go to work, we all go to class and stuff. Um, who are some people that at first glance we don't want to be around? Um, they're like the awkward dudes, you know what I mean? Like the awkward person, the person that has no friends, um, people that are rude, people that are arrogant, People that are hateful, uneducated, bigots, you mean racists, things like that. Those are the people we're supposed to still intentionally be going after, right? We're still, we're supposed to be going after the people that no one else wants because that's exactly what Jesus did. And I know it's not always easy, but that's what we're commanded to do. And I'll say this too, this isn't a stopping point because like, and I just want to just nip this in the bud if anyone's thinking this, like this isn't a stopping point for revolution as a whole church to say, yeah, like those people at other churches need to stop acting this way. And those people at more traditional churches need to be more accepting of other people and they need to go out and do good things and they need to go out and help people because we're just as guilty. Right? We are just as guilty as every other church around here for not going out and, and, and passionately pursuing these people. Like, I remember whenever Rev, three-quarters of Rev used to be people in rehab. Anyone else remember that? Remember back then? Rev used to be three-quarters people in rehab. Look around. I don't, I don't see that anymore. And I'm glad you're all here. But what happened to them? I understand we move buildings, but I feel like we've let people fall off by the wayside because for one reason or another, we must in our heart of hearts think that they don't matter and not worry about it. And I'm willing to say the leadership team, maybe, maybe we dropped the ball on that, right? I'm new to this whole thing. Maybe we've dropped the ball on this. But we have to passionately go after these same people. We have to help people. We have to intentionally go out and try to make their lives better. Um, tangibly and educate them about the gospel, right? 
Like, you need food. We need to go out and help them that way by giving them food. Jesus helped people tangibly through miracles. We need to help people tangibly through our money, through good works, through helping them build stuff on their house if need be, giving people rides and stuff. That's what we need to be doing, tangibly helping people. Um, And I'll say this too. Um, Don't think that just because we do free market once or twice a year or just because we have... Um, four guys and two girls in a couple houses down in the East End, or just because three or four of us go down to celebrate recovery on Thursdays and help out with people in recovery down there. Don't think that, this, that that means this whole church is doing good for the kingdom. That means that there's about 15 people doing good for the kingdom right now. Right, the question we have to ask ourselves, and myself too, I ask myself this all the time, what am I personally doing to show people Jesus? What am I personally doing to intentionally go out and pursue the people that Jesus Christ pursued? Because revolution as a body is not doing anything because I look out and I don't know you all personally, but I'm going I'm to guess the vast majority of people in here regularly aren't doing anything to try to pursue the people that Jesus did. So why? Did you just not think about it? Um, are we discriminating against who we're willing to help? Is that homeless dude on the side of the road, like did he put himself there and he, we don't think he deserves our cash? Um, you know, the people in the East End or at Wayne Hills just right there, um, did they put themselves in there because they just refused to get a job and now we don't want to help them? Is that why we aren't helping people? Or are we just too lazy to help anybody, regardless of their situation, even if they were good people? That's a question we have to ask ourselves. What are we personally doing? Are we even willing to help anyone at all? You know, and, and, and I hope we're not discriminating, but I think that more often than not, that's the problem, is that we discriminate against who we're willing to help and who we're not willing to help because around here and in our southern, like semi-southern context, it's God helps those who help themselves, right? Like that's a load of crap for, straight from hell. I'm serious. God helps those who help themselves. That is the most unbiblical statement I think you could make, aside from Jesus isn't God. Like, like I said, God has a huge, huge, huge running theme of helping people who cannot and will not help themselves. Absolutely. That's exactly what he does. You know, whenever we discriminate against who we're willing to help because we think that they aren't helping themselves, we're losing sight of what Paul says in Romans 5, 6 through 8. He says, when we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. So what Paul's saying there is to break that down real quick. You won't die for just a good person, right? Like just someone like, yeah, he's okay. You're not going to die for that guy. You may die for someone that you know is a fantastic person. But God showed his love for us in the fact that we were rebellious, God-hating, hostile to the creator, sinners, in open rebellion to him. And he sent Jesus to die in our place and save us. Whenever we discriminate against who we're willing to help because they're not helping themselves, we're losing sight of the fact that we were doing nothing to help ourselves whenever Jesus came and took our penalty. Whenever we, whenever we discriminate, who, who, eh, discriminate against who we're willing 
to help with losing sight of the fact that we are born sinners. We are born helpless. And from day one, we deserve to go to hell. But God, being a merciful God, sent Jesus to come and live a perfect life that we could not live and ultimately take the sins of anyone who would believe on himself and then go to the cross and take our punishment in our place and suffer the wrath of God so that we don't have to. We are losing sight of that whenever we discriminate against who we're willing to help. God helps people who cannot help themselves or will not help themselves. We can't lose sight of that. You know, so go. You know, if you're a Christian, it, then you say you understand the gospel. You say you understand that you suck and that there's nothing good in you and that Christ counted it joy to die in your place even though you were undeserving and you weren't doing anything to help yourself. If you really understand that, go help people. You know, grace creates more Grace, if you, understand God, if you understand God's mercy and grace for you, it'll create mercy and grace in you to show to other people. Grace creates grace. And God does it indiscriminately. The Bible teaches that he chose to save you and you had nothing to do with it, right? There was nothing good in you and God said, I love you for no fact other than I love you. We should be willing to do that to everyone else. Love people for no reason. Love them just because we understand how much God loved us. So we help them tangibly, right? Give them something to take home. Be their friend. Be someone they can get a hold of. Not just, hey man, I'll see you later. I hope you're having a good week, but really don't care to help you at all. Be willing to go out and help. and, And beyond that, we do that to get our foot in the door with these people so we can help them I'm not going to say intellectually because it's so much more than that, but to teach them the gospel. All right? we, we do good works and we help them to show them grace so that we can eventually help them in the greatest way that we were ever helped. The greatest help I ever received was someone sitting me down and telling me the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he died in my place for my sin. So for me to help other people that are helpless, the greatest thing I can do is befriend them so that I can tell them that, hey amen, like you're a sinner and you need Jesus. And without Jesus, you are hopeless and damned. But he took your penalty in your place if you place faith in him. That's the greatest help we can give somebody. And if we're supposed to help people in the same way that Jesus helped us, you know, like that's the greatest thing we've ever received. Why would we not want to do that to people? Why would we not want to evangelize? Why would we not want to tell people the gospel? Like I said, grace creates more grace. And if we understand the cross and we understand that we were helpless and that we were not helping ourselves, then we should be willing to help anyone, anywhere, at any time and share the gospel with anyone, anywhere, at any time. Let's pray. Um, Father, God, thank you so much for, for the gospel. Um, thank you for helping us when we were helpless. That when we, when we were still God-hating sinning rebels that you saved us anyway thank you for that like there's there's nothing that we can do to to ever thank you enough but god we can show gratitude so i I pray that that your spirit just beats it into everyone this week to intentionally go out and pursue the people that you were going after without discrimination 
to help people that they feel like don't deserve it, to help people that, that have a past, um, to help people that have wronged them in the past because we wrong you every day and yet you have grace for us. God, I pray that we take that grace and, and, and let it create change in our hearts so that out of gratitude we go and show people that same grace that you showed to us. God, I pray that we put our faith into action and actually tell people the gospel. God, I pray we put our faith into action and, and go and do good works, God. And don't let us rest. Don't let us get a good night's sleep. Don't let us get a moment's peace until we start acting on the gospel. But Father, above all things, I thank you for the grace that you've given all of us through Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Cool, so if you guys will stand up with us. Um, we're doing an acoustic set this evening. Um, but right now we're going we're gonna to worship Jesus, all right? We're going we're gonna to take uh, our understanding that Christ took our punishment in our place, and we're going to worship him for that, right? We're going to worship God as, as, as the merciful, loving, self-sacrificing God that he is. So sing out. I understand the music's not going to be as loud as it usually is. But sing out to your King Jesus. We